the service now, we're going to look at a passage from the Bible. We'll talk about what it means, why it matters, and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible, would you turn to Mark chapter 4? Mark chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. If you're using this Brown Pew Bible, it's on page 709. Mark chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. And when you found that, would you stand together with me and I'll read this passage for us. There we go. Let's read together. Mark writes this. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching he said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that it did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60 or even 100 times. And Jesus said, he who has ears to hear... Let him hear. Verse 10, when he was alone, the twelve and others around him asked him about the parables. And he said, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable?" The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like the seed sown on rocky places, hear the word, and at once they receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like the seed sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on the good soil, hear the word, accept it, produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let me pray for us once more and ask God's blessing now as we come to his word. Spirit of God, we ask you now to be present with us here as we come to your word and uh, talk through what it is that we've uh, looked at in this passage this morning. Would you make us those people, God, who place ourselves underneath your word, underneath its authority, and not who stand over it in judgment of it? We're believing that You, by your Spirit, inspired men of old to write down these words so that they are your very words. And although this is an ancient book, these are also words that speak to us still today because they are written by your eternal Spirit. And so we believe that these are your words for us today as well, and we want to submit ourselves to them, whatever you have to say to us this morning. You tell us plainly in your word, when you send out this word, it doesn't return to you void. It accomplishes the purpose for which you send it. God, would you accomplish that purpose in each one of us today? 
And as I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Well, it's a message that desperately needs to be heard by everyone. And how you hear the message can mean the difference between life and death. And yet, for all of its importance, it's a message that you probably know many people ignore, they don't, they don't want to hear, and many people are even hostile towards the message. I'm speaking, of course, about the safety message given at the beginning of a flight before it takes off. This is a, a phenomenon that continues to baffle me, and I don't, don't understand it. Here you have... All these people were strapped into basically what is a tin can with wings, suspended thousands of feet above the air, traveling 100 miles an hour, and now here you've got somebody standing there trying to walk you through what to do in the event of an emergency to give you the greatest chance of not dying, and yet still, you look around, everyone's just like, oh, you know, whatever, I want to get those last few text messages in, I got all kids, let's get you in your seat. Nobody's listening. Some people even annoyed that they have to listen. They're like, can we just take off already? The question I have for you in light of that strange reality is this. Whether it's from indifference or just the fact that the passengers feel like they already know what she's going to say and so they don't need to bother listening to the message, does that flight attendant, is she able to simply choose not to give the safety message? Can she just say, you know what, not today? I think, uh, I think just presuming that everyone already knows what the message is, so she's just going to say, I'm not going to bother. Can she do that? No, right? The, the, the aviation regulations require that all passengers be briefed on safety procedure before takeoff, regardless of how well the flight attendant believes the message from her is going to be received. She still has to go through it. Part of the job. And as it relates to receiving the message, it's, there's been all kinds of interesting studies done about ways that airlines work to try to make sure that passengers do pay attention to the message. They do listen to it. Uh, but whatever the strategy is that they use, what's been seen time and time again, is that the degree to which a passenger paid attention to the message, that is how well they, they listened or received the message, had a direct correlation to how effective the message was in actually helping passengers to survive in case of an emergency. We are continuing this series this morning that began a few weeks ago, walking through the parables of Jesus entitled Stories of the Kingdom, looking at some of the well-known stories that Jesus told during his earthly ministry, teaching about what the kingdom of God is like, uh, teaching us about what kinds of things are valued there as well as what kinds of things are despised there. And in this fairly well-known, this is one of the, I think, more well-known parables of Jesus, often called the parable of the sower, it becomes clear pretty quickly that what is valued, what brings about uh, entry into this kingdom of God, is receiving the message of salvation deeply into an open heart. Conversely, what is despised, what denies us entry into that kingdom is either a shallow reception of the message or not receiving the message at all. Just as we saw with that pre-flight safety message, Jesus wants us to know here as well today how the message of the gospel is received has a direct correlation to the effectiveness of that message to truly transform someone. How are you receiving the message has a direct correlation to how that message does or does not transform you. So on the one hand, Jesus' story here is a call for us to consider how it is that we're hearing the gospel, 
How are we receiving the message? But along with that call, and just as we saw with that pre-flight safety message, we see another value in the kingdom. It's also this. It's a broadness, uh, a freedom in the sowing of the message. Uh, a freedom in the sowing of the message without presuming on, without prejudging the receptivity or not of the soil. Just a freeness of sowing. And I think both of those things are really important for us to look at this morning as we look at this passage because if we truly believe that the message of the gospel has the power to transform someone, has the power to transfer someone from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, if we truly believe that, then we need to consider both how the seed of the gospel is received as well as where it is sown. We need to consider both of those things. Because I think if we're honest, we, we might, if, if we are those, I pray, who have received and been transformed by that gospel message, we, we do give some attention, I think, to how the message is received. But very often, I don't know why it is, but, but we see no problem whatsoever restricting where it is that it's sown. Uh, sowing as, as sparingly as possible, almost needing a sow, we need like a guarantee of good soil or we're not even going to bother sowing it. So in order to help guard us against uh, presuming on the receptivity of the soil, but also encouraging us to consider how we're receiving the message ourselves, I want to look at our passage here in Jesus' story in two ways this morning. Firstly, I want to show us deepening our soil knowledge, and then we're going to talk about developing our practice of sowing. All right, deepening our soil knowledge. This is where we'll spend the majority of our time this morning. And then we'll also talk about developing our practice of sowing. So if you've closed your Bibles, would you open them again to that passage in Mark 4, which follow along with me as we look now at this next story of the kingdom, the, the parable of the sower. So let's look first of all at developing our soil knowledge. Developing our soil knowledge. Look at me first of all at verse 1 of the passage. Here's where Mark, he's setting the context for Jesus' teaching, telling us that Jesus is down by a lake. There's such a huge crowd gathered to hear him that he has to get in a boat and go out on the lake a little ways while the people stand along the shore to listen to him, almost like a natural amphitheater. And then in verse 2, we hear again that these stories, these parables, were one of Jesus' primary teaching methods whenever he was teaching and speaking to the crowds. Then in verse 3 through 8, Mark records Jesus' story about this farmer going out in his field to sow his seed. And I want to read through this really quickly one more time, just get it clearly in our minds, particularly if this is a story that's new to you. Maybe you haven't heard it. Let's just read through this quickly. Jesus says, listen, verse 3, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering his seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up and grew and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. And then Jesus closes out his story with these words that he ends much of his teaching with. He who has ears to hear, let him listen, let him hear. Here Now, for those of you who are here this morning, maybe you don't know me that well yet, I'll just be straight with you and come out and say right from the beginning, I know very little when it comes to things like farming, soil. I'm a straight-up city boy, and I don't apologize for that. I, 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 
I don't know much about this at all. Even stuff like gardening, I, I, I know very little, particularly in our church. I know we've got some super gardeners here, people who are passionate about that kind of stuff. That's not me. That's not my uh, strength. I, I mean, I know the basics. I know the basic kind of stuff that you need to do, and yet... I do have chickens, but against my will. <laughs> so, fair enough. Point taken. But I don't know anything about gardening, farming. I don't know anything about this process. So I know the basics of planting. I know the basics of, of, of okay, you've got to put it in the dirt, water it. But, but like, say, for instance, you take me to one of those uh, uh, lawn and garden depots where they've got those five different types of soil and you fill up the bags and take them home to work on your garden and your lawn. They, they pretty much look like five different piles of dirt to me with different signs on them, and I know that the one with the sand in it is heavier to carry. That's it. That, that's the extent of my knowledge. So if you share my level of understanding when it comes to gardening and agriculture, that kind of stuff, you're probably pretty happy like I am that Jesus, he keeps it pretty basic, right? This story is pretty basic. There's nothing surprising there. We're like, well, how does that work? It, it's pretty straightforward. We, we get it. But what's interesting is that everyone, all of us, are equally glad for Jesus' deeper explanation of this story when it comes to verses 14 through 20 of the passage, even if you do have a greater knowledge about gardening and agriculture, because on the surface of it, I don't know if this has ever struck you, but when you read that story, what's, what's the point of it? I mean, it's factual. It, it follows a logical order and that kind of thing, but it doesn't seem to mean anything. It just it seems like something out of the files of Captain Obvious. It's like, yeah, okay, seed on the path, gets eaten, yep. And then he just closes out this seemingly meaningless story. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's it. Which I think, if you're like me at all, it gives kind of a hilarious tone when you get to verse 10. Look at this. Uh, when they were alone, the 12 and others around him asked him about the parables. What, what I read into that, I, in the past, I would have read that and thinking, you know, the disciples are gathering around Jesus, getting out their laptops, ready to take notes, what he's going to say. But now, when you, th when you think of the super randomness of this story, I think what that is more like is when you inadvertently say something stupid, tell a dumb story at a party, and then your spouse, they wait till everyone's gone, like, okay, thanks for coming, good night. And as soon as they close the door, they're like, what was that? What were, you, what were you even talking about there? I think that's, that's what they're doing here when they're asking about the parables. They're just like, what was that story? And Jesus, I don't know if you noticed, but everybody there had ears. I didn't see anyone that didn't have ears. We all heard you. We just didn't know what you were talking about. What's going on with these parables anyways? And in verse 11 and 12, Jesus here clearly explains, first of all, the reason behind why he teaches in parables. Again, uh, the, I dedicated the whole first sermon in this series to developing that understanding of why Jesus spoke in parables at all. I, I don't have time to go through all of that with us this morning. It's hot in here. Uh, we want to move along here, but it, uh, I would just encourage you again, if you did not hear that message, go back this week, go on our website, we've got audio video uh, for you to listen to that message. It really is foundational to all of Jesus' stories, understanding that there is simultaneously at the same time a revealing as well as a concealing nature to Jesus' parables. It's both. There's a revealing and concealing, and Jesus is purposely teaching in such a way that, that the stories can be understood, but only as we seek to understand the secrets of the knowledge of the kingdom through him. 
Only as we go through him. If you go anywhere else, you try to use any other science, logic, whatever to understand them, the truth of them remains hidden from you. We need to go through him, and he's purposely teaching that way. But thankfully, Jesus does reveal the kingdom secrets locked in this seemingly meaningless story to his disciples when they ask him about it. And thankfully, we get to benefit from their asking because it's written down for us here. So I just want to quickly now read through Jesus' explanation, get those two things, parable, explanation, clearly in our heads, and then we're going to talk a bit about what this might mean for our lives. So let's look at verse 14. Jesus says, The farmer sows the word. Verse 15, Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes, takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like the seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like the seed sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like the seed sown on the good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. So I'm, I'm saying, okay, that makes a lot more sense. Thank you very much. Thank you for explaining that. So what, what he's revealing here, first of all, is that what he's describing, big picture, is he's describing what growth in the kingdom of God looks like. This is what growth looks like in the kingdom of God. We see verse 14, first of all. The seed, the seed that the farmer is sowing, this, it represents the word. The word in the Greek, this is the logos that's being sown. And in this context, what he's describing here, what's being sown is the message of the gospel. That's the word being sown. The message of the gospel of forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus. That's what's being sown, and that's what he's talking about going out. And then the verses that follow, what they do, they, these different soils represent different ways that that seed is received as it's sown or as it's spoken. One commentator helpfully kind of divided these four soils into four kind of response categories, which I want to just use this morning to help us talk through them. Describe the four categories of response as dismissive, shallow, divided, and then deep. I want to take a minute and just develop each of those quickly, and I think it's going to help us with our goal here of deepening our soil knowledge. So look at verse 15, first of all. Here we see what uh, uh, this commentator describes as a dismissive response to the gospel. Dismissive response where the seed never penetrates the surface of the heart, but is stolen away, Jesus says here, by Satan. The seed is stolen away before it ever penetrates the surface. You, you see this today when anybody hears the message of the gospel and just rejects it out of hand. They're just like, nope, no, I don't want to hear that. that. That sounds ridiculous. It sounds, uh, uh, makes no sense. Maybe they say things like, uh, what, you guys just you sound like you're part of some crazy cult, some religious nut jobs. M maybe they say, uh, uh, I don't have time to waste on children's fairy tales. Thanks very much. No, I'm good. Maybe uh, if you, uh, some of you, maybe you came to faith later in life, maybe you can remember actually responding to the gospel message that way yourself. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning and that's what you're thinking right now. I don't know. But Jesus says here the reason behind that kind of response to the gospel is not because Christian people are so smart, we're so enlightened, we get it. It's not at all. It's because the seed, as it's sown, has been stolen away. 
It's, it's blocked. It's, it's, it's explained or reasoned away in such a way that it never has a chance to penetrate the surface of the heart, and therefore, no growth takes place. Seed is taken away. Look now at verse 16 and 17. Here we see a shallow receiving of the gospel message. A shallow receiving of the message where the seed does penetrate the surface of the heart, but not deeply enough. You see this today with a person who receives the gospel gladly. You, they hear the message and they receive it passionately. This is, this is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. Jesus has changed my life. But notice, the seed is received gladly, but not deeply. And because it has no root that the plant can't be nourished or fed at all, the baking hot sun of persecution, of suffering, of difficulties comes in and reveals that the plant uh, was not truly genuine. The reception of the gospel was not truly genuine, but only self-serving. Let this person be uh, ridiculed or excluded because of their faith. Let them experience illness or or difficulty or hardship and not be healed, not be uh, delivered. Challenge this person about even the smallest way about a deep-rooted sin in their life, and they're done. Walk on it. Christianity, uh, the Bible, Jesus, no, I'm all good. I'm all done with that. And they'll talk about how they tried Christianity, didn't work for them. This is the shallow reception of the gospel. Pastor and author Tim Keller describes it this way. He says, they had never transferred their trust from themselves to the Savior. They never transferred the kingship of their lives from themselves to Jesus. They had kept it all along. And they thought, Jesus is going to change me. But they thought that their primary problem was that they were a sufferer in need of a solution when their real problem is that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. And when the persecution comes, it reveals that the seed, the planting, was never truly genuine. Look at verse 18 and 19 now. Here we see a divided receiving of the gospel message. A divided receiving where the seed, it does penetrate surface deeply enough. It does grow down roots, revealing the true nature of the plant. This is a genuine reception of the gospel. But the problem here is that that genuine planting is surrounded by thorns on every side that that, that choke out, that, that restrict the growth, restrict the fruitfulness of the plants. Scary thing about this description is that while the first two soils are clearly reveal that those soils are not genuine believers, this third scenario is clearly describing someone. This sounds like a Christian. This sounds like someone they've received the message, roots have gone down deep, but they're just being choked out by these various things Jesus mentions, uh, the, the worries of life, deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things, and so they remain unfruitful. They remain impotent in their faith, and they never grow. They're always stuck at the same place. It's not surprising to you probably that I can't even tell you how often this soil gets played out in church every day, how often this has been played out in my own life. This is a regular scenario many times for Christian people. It happens all the time. And the key issue underneath this choking out, this lack of growth, as Keller again says so well, in this group... People's lives are committed to Christ, but Christ shares control with other things. There's a division. They worship God, they worship Christ, and they worship these other things. This is what the thorny soil does. 
It, it, asks us to, it asks Christ to share control, share supremacy in our lives with other things, and it's devastating to our faith. It's devastating to our fruitfulness and our usefulness in the kingdom. It is genuine love. There is genuine love for Jesus, but you just get stuck, and you always stay here, and you never move forward. You never progress and deepen and mature in your faith. Finally, verse 20, Jesus talks about a deep Receiving of the gospel message. Here, here is where the seed penetrates deeply into the heart. Roots are deeply embedded. And although there, there may be weeds at times, there may be thorns that try to choke it out, the plant continues to grow. It grows strong and produces a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times. This is meant to describe a miraculous growth. Uh, in this context, nobody had a 100 times growth of what they planted. So it's meant to describe a miraculous growth that could only come about from the blessing of God. And I know this, this is the ideal, right? If, if you're here this morning, you're genuinely seeking to follow Jesus, this is what we want. This is what we're all aiming for. But the simple question we have to answer here is, if we want that to be the case, we need to remind ourselves and ask ourselves, what is it that makes soil become good? What makes soil good? What makes it, it able to receive seeds deeply? It's not everything, but surely something essential for soil to be good, soil to be able to receive seed, is plowing. Soil needs the, the cutting of the iron blade in order to break up the soil, in order to receive the seed deeply. Just the other day, I was out in my yard trying to plant some grass seeds on my lawn and some brown patches, and my wife, who does know things about sowing, was just like, you know you can't just... Throw it on the top, right? You gotta, you gotta break it up. You gotta break up the ground so that the seed actually goes in. It's actually gonna grow. Good point. Point taken. It's gotta be broken up in order for the soil to be able to receive the seed. Carry that analogy through now to your heart and receiving the gospel message. What is it that makes the soil of our hearts good? What is it that makes the soil of our hearts able to deeply receive the message of the gospel and support growth? Isn't it plowing? Isn't it weeding out the thorns? Isn't it breaking up the hard earth? The very thing that the hard path is so resistant to and the very thing that causes the, the seed planted in the shallow soil to fall away. Plowing causes all those things uh, to have a negative reaction, but for the good soil, it only pushes the seed down even deeper. It only makes it go down even further. And we need to, as, as brothers and sisters, as a church family, as we live life together, we need to remind ourselves of that often. We need to remind each other when we see someone suffering and dealing with difficulty that, that the deep plowing, the pruning, the, the weeding from God in your life is not his punishment. It's not his punishment of you. It's his loving cultivation of the soil of your heart so that the seed of the gospel can penetrate deeper and deeper and also bring about the growth that he wants to produce in and through you. I want to go back for a minute and talk about that third soil in particular because, sure, if you're here today and you would call yourself a Christian, we, we might desire to be like that good soil, and I know uh, some of us, we are. That, that is a description of our life and how we're living right now, and yet oftentimes, all of us, all of us can still find ourselves stuck in that third category of the thorny soil. It's easy to find ourselves stuck. I just, and I just want to press into that for a minute because if that's where you find yourself this morning, if you hear that description, you're like, man, that sounds like me. 
I want to press into this because there can be one of two things going on and it's pretty important that we discern which one it is if that's where you find yourself this morning. First of all, for some of us, we can see that we're not growing. We can see that we're not producing fruit. And by the way, just so you know, when the Bible talks about producing fruit, it means at least two things. It means both being those witnesses for Jesus, making disciples, growing the kingdom of God. That's part of the growth and fruit that Jesus is talking about. But it's also a personal growth. It's also spiritual fruit. It's spiritual maturity growing in you, much like what Paul talks about in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. That's the kind of fruit that he's talking about when the Bible speaks about producing fruits. So we can see we're not growing. Uh, we can see we're not producing fruit, but we long to be. That's one scenario. We, we, we longed, we were like, man, I, I feel like I'm stuck here. I'm, I'm not interested in reading my Bible. I know I should be sharing the gospel with people. I'm not, I'm not taking those opportunities. I feel like I'm, I'm stuck in my growth here. If that's where you find yourself this morning, my encouragement to you would be, first of all, just take an honest look at your life. Really step back for a minute, take an honest look, seek out some input from trusted Christian brothers and sisters, maybe a spouse, who, someone who knows you well, and ask yourself this question. What am I asking Jesus to share control of my life with? What am I asking Jesus to share control of my life with? What are the things in my life that I give equal or even greater priority to than Jesus? Maybe that would be your career. Maybe that would be a relationship. Maybe that would be your kids. Maybe, any number of things. And you know that when God is calling you to do something, Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart about something, if you get a call from any one of those things, that person, that thing, whatever it is, whatever it is, Jesus gathering with God's people, spending time in God's word and prayer, whatever it is, those things go on hold. Hang on a sec, Jesus, I've got to take this call. What's that thing? Whatever that thing is that you would put those things on hold for, I've got to take this call. That's the thing that's choking you out right now. That's the thing that's restricting your growth and causing you to remain fruitless. And it doesn't mean at all that those things, those things that you're taking the call for, that they're not good, they're not important, they're not necessary. Absolutely they are. You should care about your job. You should care about your relationships and your kids and all these things. But... Whenever those things are given equal or superior status in your life to your relationship to Jesus, they become thorns. They become thorns that choke out your spiritual growth and cause you to remain fruitless. They're the things that are making you stuck. Uh, Hebrews 12, a passage maybe a lot of you are familiar with, God's call is clear. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Listen, you need to hear that word and is huge in this passage. It's huge because we always think, so many times people say, I, I'm not, I can't think of any big sin in my life that's, that's holding me back. Paul's clearly saying here, whoever wrote Hebrews, he's saying, it's not just sins that hold you back. There's all kinds of good things in your life that can hold you back, that can choke you out because you're giving it a superior place in your life to Jesus. It's the sin and the things that hinder you. We need to throw them off, he says. Throw them off and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, giving him the supremacy in our life, giving him the place of, of passionate pursuit above all other things. 
So that's the first scenario. We see we're not growing, we see we're not producing fruit, but we long to be. That's the first thing that can be going on with a thorny soil. The other thing that can be going on, you find yourself that you're stuck in that third thorny soil is this. You can see that you're not growing. You can see that you're not producing fruit, that you're stuck. And you're cool with it. It's, it's fine. No desire or, or inspiration at all to do anything about it. You're just fine to keep going through the motions. Yeah, come to church on Sunday. Yeah, put some money in the plate. Good, you know, that's, that's good. That's all I'm really hoping for from this. If that's where you're at this morning, I think it would be equally important for you to take, take a hard look at your life, seek some input from trusted Christian friends, spouse, someone, and ask yourself this question here. Does Jesus have any control over my life? Does he have any control at all? Or is Jesus just something I've added onto a life that is still controlled and directed entirely by me? First Corinthians 9, 24, Apostle Paul says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? And what does he say? Run in such a way as to get the prize. It's not enough to just be in the race. Run like you're trying to win. If you're saying you're in the race, but you're completely indifferent as to winning, you're just like, I don't know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I'll cross the finish line someday, I don't know. You're saying that, that, that you're, you're stuck in the thorny soil, but you're completely unconcerned about growth, about producing any fruit, just content to keep coasting along in your Christianity. I'd say it's worth, it's going to sound harsh, but it's worth investigating whether you're truly rooted in the third soil at all. Or if you're actually planted in the shallow soil and the heat of the sun just hasn't reached you yet. John 15, Jesus describes our relationship to him with another gardening analogy. He speaks of himself as a vine and us as the branches. And he says, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. He concludes, verse 8, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. It means bearing fruit is not optional for the Christian. If you're unconcerned about bearing fruit at all, it need, you need to ask that question, am I truly rooted deeply at all? We can't be unconcerned about growth. We can't be unconcerned about bearing fruit. It's not an option for the Christian, Jesus says. It means a disciple of Jesus, truly rooted in him and in his kingdom, growing, producing fruit, has to be our continued desire. It has to be our continued desire. Now listen, God is patient. God is gracious with us. He's not sitting there folding his arms, being like, what's taking you so long? When are you going to clear these thorns away? That's not what he's doing. He's patient and gracious with us. And if our desire continues to be growth, He's going to work with us. He's absolutely going to work alongside and cultivate that garden in order to bring about growth because he desires it too. That's the great news. Jesus desires growth in you too. 
And he's going to help that happen. But one of the key things Jesus' parable shows us here as well is how incredibly important it is for us to, to deepen our soil knowledge so that we can discern what kind of soil we're truly planted in. That's one of the, the points of this parable, to discern what sort of soil am I planted in because where we're planted has everything to do with our placement in his kingdom. Okay, that's deepening our soil knowledge. It was a lot. And I wanted to spend, we're, we're going to spend a lot less time on this next point, but understanding where you're truly planted, that's a, a question of eternal significance. And I want to give it the time and attention it needs and, because it's so important. It's absolutely worth the time invested in, I think. So that's why we spent so much time. The last thing I want to look at very quickly from Jesus' parable is this, developing our practice of sowing. Developing our practice of sowing. This is something we touched on two weeks ago when we looked at Jesus' parable of the great banquet. It also relates to what we said at the beginning about the flight attendant giving her safety message at the beginning of the flight. And where you see this in Jesus' parable of the sower is noticing a detail that's so obvious it's easy to miss. And it's this. Did you notice back in verse 3 and the beginning of verse 4, look back there with me, you notice how when the farmer goes out to sow... He scatters his seed on all four types of soil. He scatters his seed on all of them. He just tosses it out on all of them. You just transfer this to, to your own backyard gardening, whatever you've tried to attempt in your own backyard garden. This would be like planting seeds in that nice section that you till up and put compost and stuff and watered and all that, but also planting it over in that unweeded section. Also planting it on the lawn. Also planting it over by the fence post where it's all hard pack and concrete. Planting seeds everywhere. I mean, it, it, it's the sower, the way he sows the seed in this parable looks foolish. It looks wasteful. Why would he bother sowing seeds on that hard path or the thorn? Why, why would he even bother putting seed there? It's completely contrary to how you'd think someone who knows about agriculture would act. And yet I think it's incredibly intentional that Jesus talks about sowing that way. It's a powerful truth Jesus also wants to teach us about what's valued in the kingdom. And it's this, that, that where we are to sow is freely, is prodigally, is, is wastefully. We are to sow this seed as freely in every place we can. Everywhere we can without prejudging which kind of soil we think will and will not receive the message. That's the other thing we're learning from this parable. Again, we talked about this two weeks ago. We talked about we are to send out God's invitation to the kingdom banquet as widely as he sends it out without deciding for God who will or will not accept it. The flight attendant is to give her pre-safety message at the beginning to every passenger, regardless of who she thinks is going to receive it and pay attention to her or knows what she's going to say. She still has to give the, the pre-flight safety message. And the question Jesus asks us here to consider once again now in this parable today is, where are you not sowing the seed? Where are you not sowing the seed of the gospel because you've decided for God already what kind of soil that person's heart has? Where are you not sowing the seed because you think that that seed couldn't grow there or shouldn't grow there? Jesus' call here is to sow the seed. 
and keep, keep on sowing it, regardless of how receptive or how able to receive the seed that the soil appears to you. Keep sowing. I'm not talking about being ignorant. I'm not talking about being belligerent with people. But don't give up. Don't, don't give up sowing. And don't decide for God what, where it should be sown. Scatter the seeds as freely and, and wastefully as God gives you opportunity because you have no idea how God's been working in that person's life in order to break up the soil of their heart. You don't know what plowing God's been doing. So sow the seed with a trust and expectation that he will bring about the growth. He will bring about the harvest in the lives of all that he's calling to himself. We're not called to bring about the growth. We're just called to sow. And Jesus says, sow everywhere. Sow everywhere. As we close this morning, the last thing I want to leave you with is just a, a reminder of the incredible power contained inside the seed of the gospel that we're called to sow. I don't know if you even can remember back this far, but you know like when kids are in primary school and they're taught about, you know, we put the seed in this, the paper towel and how the roots go down. We learn about how things grow that way. And at that time, we're like, wow, that's incredible. Everything needed for that vegetable, that plant, that tree is contained in this little thing. Are you serious? It's amazing to us. And we, as we grow up, we lose the wonder of it. I think in the very same way, either through maybe an over-familiarization with the gospel message, we just heard it so much, or maybe you've been sowing in a place for a long time and you haven't seen any growth. We can lose the wonder and we can lose confidence in the incredible transforming power contained inside that gospel message. We can start to lose our belief in its power to transform. It. You know, it's kind of like, am I using this right? I don't see anything happening. It can feel like that. It can almost feel ashamed or embarrassed of the message because, yeah, I believe this, and you're saying this transforms people, but nothing's happening. Romans 1.16 the Apostle Paul reminds us, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That seed of the gospel, did you hear that? That simple gospel seed that we're called to, to sow and that we sometimes can lose our confidence and wonder it, that contains the power of God to transform a life, to transform somebody just as it transformed you. That simple message, we don't know when it's going to happen, but that message, that seed that you're called to sow has the power to transform a life. That's what you've been given to sow. That's why you can have confidence to sow freely and wastefully, no matter what the soil may look like to us, because the power to transform is not in you or, or your ability to how, how well you plant power is contained in the seed. That's the power to transform. Our call is to sow it. Let's pray. I'll ask those of you, if you're helping me serve communion, if you'd come forward at this time as well. Our Father, I just want to give you thanks for this parable that you spoke through your son Jesus all these years ago. It's a simple word. 
and yet it has so much depth and power to it, and it presses on all of our hearts this morning. God, I pray that all of us this morning uh, would consider again what kind of soil has this seed of the gospel been planted in? Maybe you're here this morning, we know I, I've, I've never received that. I've always thought that sounded ridiculous, like foolishness. But I know that also means that the life of God is not planted in me. Maybe you hear that description of, of a, a shallow soil and you're like, that's, that's me. I've, I don't have any desire to grow in my faith. I'm just kind of going through the motions, checking off the Christianity box on the census, but I don't have any desire, I have no love for Jesus, no desire to grow. I, maybe I prayed a prayer when I was a kid, but I, I have no growth since then. Maybe I'm that shallow soil. Or maybe we see ourselves and we, we hear about the thorns and we, we can picture them in our mind right now. We already know what they are. And your call to us today is to allow the, the blade of your clippers to come in and prune those thorns away. And we're holding on to them. We don't want to let go of those things. Give us faith to trust you, the great gardener, to cultivate your field in such a way as to bring about growth. Because you desire that for every one of us. May it always be our desire so that we would have a willingness to receive the pruning blade. Or maybe you are here this morning in your soil, you know it's good, and you're, you're seeing growth. Praise God for that. Seek to continue to cultivate. Seek to continue to allow that plowing so the seed can go deeper and the growth can continue to happen. God, I pray that you would be working in each one of these ways wherever this, uh, the seed of the word has been planted this morning. Give us an openness and a receptivity to receive what you want to accomplish in us and then accomplish it we pray by the power of your spirit for your gospel is what has the power to transform and i'm asking it would transform today again we ask this in jesus name amen